What's going on, church family? How are we feeling this morning? Feeling good? Yeah. That's amazing. Hey, once again, welcome to Greenville First. My name is uh, Pastor Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, specifically, I work with your teenagers. So pray for us. A group of us are leaving uh, tomorrow morning to go to middle school camp. And then we're going to come back. And then I'm also going back for a following week to high school camp. So if you think about me, pray for me and pray for your students. We're going to have a great, great, great time at summer camp. Um, I do want to give a couple shout outs real quick. Um, I want to give a shout out, uh, first of all, to my man Dion this morning because uh, before service today, we were talking about how amazing it is that as a church we have this facility that we can, you know, we're really not sk skipping a beat. We can come into the gym and have services too. But uh, Dion, uh, he made a comment before service this morning. He says, you know what, even if we didn't have the gym, we would have church in the parking lot. And uh, the reason I like that is um, I like to remind people from time to time, particularly students, that the church is actually not a building. So when you say you're going to church, you're not going to church, you're going to the church building. Now, I'm not going to correct you, but the church, if you're wondering, is not a building, but it's a group of people. So turn to somebody next to you and say, you are the church. You are the church. Which, that, which means whether we had a building or not, we could, have, we could have church in the parking lot, we could have church at your house. And uh, I've had church in a parking lot before, and it was not intentional, but sometimes things uh, tend to go that way. So I want to give a shout out to Dion. I want to give a shout out to everybody who's joining us online uh, today. Church family, can we just celebrate those that are joining with us remotely? Appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. Uh, shout out to my dad and my sister and uh, my nieces and some members of my family watching uh, this morning from Louisiana. Louisiana. So thanks for being here. I don't know what that means, but uh, <laughs> that sounded spiritual. All right. That's good. Well, let me, uh, let me begin uh, today's talk uh, by asking you a question. Have you ever in your life, and this is probably going to apply to most people, have you ever in your life ever rented or borrowed something from someone else? Show of hands. Or you can yell at me, either one. Okay, most people, all right. Uh, on the flip side, raise your hand or yell at me if you have ever been the person who has lent out your things or let someone borrow something from you. Okay, great. Well, um, a few years ago, uh, Pastor Josh and I, we were both living in the state of Florida. We've known each other for a long time. And I had recently moved from Wisconsin back to Florida, and Pastor Josh had lived there for a few years. And he was gearing up to go on some winter vacation somewhere with a buddy or two. And he didn't have any winter clothes. And so he and I were talking one day. I said, hey, man, I've got tons of winter clothes. Just moved here from Wisconsin, as you know. And so I let him borrow, like, a jacket, some gloves, some ski clothes, all that stuff. But I also let him borrow my favorite hat. This thing was, like, nice. It was, like, knitted. It looked like it had the comfort of being homemade, but, but it, you know, I bought it from the store. But it was just this nice hat. It was kind of like a beanie. You know, one of those, like, winter caps. You know, I loved it. And so I let him borrow it. He went on his trip. He had a great time. He came back from the trip, and we're squaring up. He's giving me my stuff back. And I said, hey, Pastor Josh, where is, where's, my, where's my favorite hat? He's like, oh, you know what, man? We were on the trip, and one of the other guys got really cold. And, you know, and I let him borrow the hat. You know, pastor's hard. He's trying to help people out. And so he says, I let him borrow your hat, but he's a mutual friend of ours. Just whenever you see him, just square, square up with him. Just get your hat back. I'm like, yeah, cool, no problem. You know, it happens. I probably would have done the same thing. Probably not. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> and, um, and so the mutual friend of ours, like I saw him all the time. We went to church together, all this stuff. And uh, the problem is, though, I forgot. Like I forgot to reach out to the guy. And then when I remembered, like, the guy wasn't around, and next thing you know, the guy ended up moving, okay? This was 10 years ago. And for 10 years, I thought my hat was just gone forever. You know, I just, you know, just kind of let it go, right? Guys, I kid you not, 
this past winter, that hat walked into this church. It did. Turns out that mutual friend of ours moved to Greenville, South Carolina from Florida, and they started going to this church, and it's none other than my good friend, Brandon Smotherman, right here. He was wearing my hat. He says, man, I love it. It's my favorite hat. And I'm like, ah, oh, I bet. It's a nice hat. Uh, so anyway, Brandon, it's a funny story between us. I told him to keep the hat. It's his favorite hat now. I've got a new hat. But, uh, but, you know, when, when you borrow something from somebody or you let someone borrow something from you, there's just these, like, unspoken rules that people know when you borrow stuff, okay? So, for example, if I said if you borrow something, bring it back. Okay, you guys do not know the unspoken rules or you took it too literally. You can speak the unspoken rules. That is okay, okay? So if you borrow something, make sure you bring it back better than you found it. All right, we'll work on that. Return it better than you found it. In other words, if you borrow someone's car, it doesn't matter how much gas is in that car. It could be dead on empty, and you're driving it a mile. When you bring the car back, especially if it's a truck, you know what I'm saying, you better bring it back with a full tank. But I asked some of my, uh, some of my friends on Instagram, I, I said, give me, give me what, are the, what are these unspoken rules? And people chimed in, gave me different things. Uh, someone said this, don't make me ask for it back. If... If you borrow something from me, I want you to chase me down to give it back to me. You know what I'm saying? Hey, man, I got to get you that thing. I got it in my car. I know I said I needed it for one week. I got it done in a day. I'm going to bring it back to you. Okay, someone else said this. Report any damage to said borrowed item. If you break it, you have to replace it. Next one, uh, and this is, this is on the list for no particular reason at all. I just added it myself. Don't let someone else borrow something that you are currently borrowing yourself. <laughs> just, I feel like that should just make it in the notes. All right. So we're going through the par parables this summer, and I chose to speak on the parable of the tenants. And you, you may have just thought that you've misheard me, and you may have thought that I meant to say talents. Uh, that's a different parable. Uh, I'm not talking about the parable of the talents. I'm talking about the parable of the tenants. The tenant being someone that borrows uh, something from someone else. So Jesus uh, tells this parable, and like all parables, um, or, or most of them, it's, it's a made-up story that Jesus is telling us to try to communicate a deeper point or a deeper idea. So he's trying to put it uh, just in layman's terms so we can understand. So Jesus tells this parable the parable of the tenants, and it's about a group of people, some tenants, that were renting or borrowing some land from a landowner. And so we're going to jump into this story today. It's Matthew uh, chapter 21. You're going to very quickly realize in this story that these people had never heard of the unspoken rules of renting or borrowing. They actually did the worst things that you could possibly imagine if somebody was borrowing you, you this stuff. We're going to be in Matthew 21 today, but this story is also told in two other Gospels. It's told in Mark chapter 12 and Luke chapter 20. I am going to read the whole parable to you. Uh, I will uh, admit it is 12 verses. It's a little bit longer, but we're going to have it on the screen for you and just lean in and we're going to talk about it today. This is what Jesus says, Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 33. He says, hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and then leased it to tenants and then the owner went into another country. 
When the season for fruit drew near, the landowner sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants, instead of giving, him fr- giving them fruit, took the servants, they beat one, they killed another, and they stoned another. Pretty harsh. Verse 36, again, the landowner sent other servants more than the first time, and they did the exact same thing to them. Verse 37 says, finally, he sent his son to them, saying to himself, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and they threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. When, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? The people that were in the crowd, a lot of Pharisees and chief priests, they responded by Jesus in verse 30, responded to Jesus in verse 31. They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard, rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus' response to this idea is he says, have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus here was quoting Psalm 118, verse 22. He goes on to say, Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone, referencing, referencing Psalm 118, the cornerstone, whoever falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when the stone falls on anyone, it will crush him. Verse 45, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard these parable, heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. They're like, is he talking about us? <laughs> Verse 46, although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they knew that because they held him to be a prophet. They knew the crowds recognized Jesus as a prophet. Okay, so there's a lot going on in the story. We're talking about landowners, tenants, people getting murdered, cornerstones, rocks, all this stuff. Let me just kind of briefly explain to you what's going on in uh, my quick version of the story. Jesus is teaching a crowd like he often does. And when anytime, it seems like when Jesus drew a crowd, he would draw these, these other groups of people called Pharisees or chief priests. Now, these people considered themselves, it was their own thoughts, they considered themselves to be the religious elite. They knew uh, the scriptures really well. They made uh, going to church uh, every, single, every single opportunity. They, they made it just a, a religious activity. They thought very highly of themselves. And often what would happen is these people would judge the kind of the outcasts of society or they would be really judgmental to people that they feel like did not meet their standards of what it meant to be a, a, or what it meant to live for God. And so Jesus is telling this story and he's saying, you know, there's this landowner, he owns a vineyard, all this stuff, and the landowner sends all these people. And every time the landowner sends people, they just get uh, rejected, they get murdered. What do you think I should, what do, what do you think the landowner should, should do to these people? And the Pharisees, at first, they don't realize what Jesus is talking about. They're like, well, I'll tell you what we ought to do. That guy ought to kill those jokers. And Jesus is like, oh man, have you guys ever read the scriptures? Okay, that's pretty much like going to a preacher and saying, you know, Pastor, haven't you ever read the Bible? It's like going, it's like going to a judge and saying, come on, don't, haven't you ever like read a law book? He, he, he's almost being sarcastic here, and he's like, guys, <clears throat> don't you understand what I'm talking about here? Haven't you read the scriptures? It says in Psalm 118, 
that it's, it's, the, it's the stone that the builders rejected. Jesus is referring to himself. Obviously in the story, Jesus, when he talks about the son of the, the landowner being killed, he's foreshadowing his own death. So this, this parable was originally written or originally told uh, to the crowd, but also to try to get the Pharisees' attention to their behavior of being uh, rejecting people, of using their religion to beat other people down. So there's a couple observations that I pulled from the story that I think uh, not only apply to the crowd in that day, not only apply to the Pharisees, but also will apply to us. And the first observation I made about this story, <clears throat> excuse me, is that God sends people to show us his way. God sends people to show us his way. Once again, in the story, the, the vineyard owner, the landowner, uh, is supposed to be God in the story. And God, for thousands of years, has sent messengers, he sent prophets, he has sent people over and over and over again to tell us, living on earth, to tell us about his kingdom and his way of doing, doing things. As you read through scripture, there's all kinds of prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and so many others. And we don't always know how they died. You know, sometimes scripture uh, just tells them that they passed away, or other times uh, the kind of the book of the Bible ends before we get their death. But if you do a little bit of research, Jewish tradition tells us that the prophet Isaiah, the way he died is that he was sawn in two. According to the early church father, Tertullian, Jeremiah, another major prophet in the Bible, was stoned to death. We read in scripture that Samson gave his life for God. He was one of the judges. We know that Jezebel, in 1 Kings 18, it's mentioned that she killed many of the Lord's prophets. We know that John the Baptist was beheaded in the New Testament, and we also know that there was a, a man named Stephen who was stoned as well. That's where I get my name from. God has sent thousands of people to show us the way, Old Testament prophets, New Testament disciples, even the Apostle Paul. He sends all these people to show the way, to show people what his kingdom is, and these, all these prophets and messengers, they're rejected at best and killed at worst. You may be saying, Pastor Stephen, what in the world does this have to do with me? Uh, I'm certainly not killing people uh, in my life who are trying to tell me about Jesus. I wrote this down. You know, we, we may judge the tenets in the story, but the truth is God sends us people to show his kingdom and tell us about Jesus. While we may not be killing them, we may be rejecting them. <clears throat> Excuse me. I want to speak just for a moment to those that are in the room that you might... Uh, you, you might not consider yourself a Christian or a Christ follower. Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you haven't been in a while. I want to speak directly to you just, just for a second. First of all, I want to say that we're so glad you're here. Like, seriously. Like, we love that you're here. We, we'll do everything that we can to make you feel right at home. Jesus loves you so much. We love you too. And I, I'm so thankful that you would decide to spend your Sunday morning here with us in a church gym, okay, he hearing me talk. But we're so thankful for you. But I want you to think about this for a second. If you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christ follower, would you, would you consider for a second that maybe God has been sending you people your entire life to show you the way, to show you the ways of God, to show you the kingdom of God, to try to get you, to try to convince you to be in a loving relationship with Jesus? Have you considered that maybe your entire life God has been sending you, sending you people and you have been rejecting them? You know, I grew up in the South. Uh, I know many of you, maybe you're transplants to Greenville, but, but maybe this is your story as well. 
But, you know, I grew up, like, we just went to church. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't something that we ever really thought about. I mean, it was just a part of what you did. Like, you just went to church on Sunday, and then you went to Cracker Barrel or something uh, after that. Maybe some of you have had that same habit. But my entire life, I just saw over and over again, man, like, God, God sent me family members. God sent me friends. God sent me pastors. God sent me mentors. And I don't, I don't tell you this from a place of judgment. I, I don't want you to feel bad if you find yourself in church today and, and you don't follow the Lord. A matter of fact, it's the best place that you could possibly be on a Sunday uh, if you don't follow the Lord. But I just want to encourage you with this, that maybe God has been trying to get your attention. Maybe God's been sending you people. Maybe God put you in your family for a reason. Maybe you got that job for a reason because the person that sits next to you loves the Lord. Maybe there's a reason you had that teacher. Maybe there's a reason you had that roommate in college where these people encouraged you in, in the Lord. And way you, while you may not be killing them, you may have been rejecting them. This next question is a little strong, but I promise you it's from a place of love. How many more people is God going to have to send you for you to listen to him and to follow him? I'm thankful today for my mom and, and my parents and my family who, when I was that person on my path and I was far away from Jesus and when I was rejecting the people that God was sending me, I'm thankful today that I had family members and friends and pastors and coaches who continued to point me in the direction of Jesus. And my prayer for you today, once again, if you find yourself and you say, hey, I'm not a follower, my, pray, my prayer for you today is that today would be, be the day that you make the decision to follow Jesus. And I'm going to give you that opportunity in just a few minutes. So think about this. What happens then if we are the people renting the vineyard and God is sending us people, he's sending us messengers, and he's trying to collect the fruit of the land and what happens to us when we continue to reject him? It kind of it reminds me of this uh, a, a little bit. Um, I, I grew up a middle child. Any other middle children in the room? Middle child, come on, a, a few of us, okay. Aren't we just like the forgotten ones? You know what I'm talking about? Like nobody ever remembers us, you know. Did you guys know that coming up in August is actually, there's like a middle child like appreciation day coming up in August. Did you know that? You didn't know that? Of course you didn't know it because everybody forgets about the middle child. Being a middle child is tough because you're always too young to do what your older siblings are doing. You're like, can I go out with them? They're doing this thing. My mom's like, ah, oh, you're too young, you know. But then you got that little sibling, and they're still having like a birthday party, and, and they're playing in the play place. You're like, mom, I want to go in the play place. She's like, you're 18 years old. You're not going in there. Okay, that's probably a good thing. But, but when you're the middle child, you know, you're, you're never old enough, but then, you're, but then you're too old. And then another thing with the middle child is that nothing you ever get is new. It's, it's always like, well, this was your sisters, this was your, you know, brothers, whatever. You never get new stuff. And then what little you do get, you have to share with the younger sibling. Like nothing is like ever yours. I, I think I had a backpack that had like people's names on it. It was like crossed off, you know. It's just, it just kept going down the line of, of kids. But I'll never forget in elementary school, uh, I, I took my lunch to school as a kid. And I had this lunchbox. And I, apparently my, my younger brother had needed a lunchbox for like a field trip or something and he wasn't always as responsible as me so my mom wrote his name on my lunchbox okay this is typical middle child experience right here your brother's name is on your lunchbox and it probably wouldn't have been a big deal except my parents are divorced and so my brother has a different last name than me and so I'm bringing this lunchbox to school and it's got this other kid's name on it and people are like whose lunch did you steal you know and I'm just like mortified on top of that I don't know why but it was like a bright yellow lunchbox, you know, like my mom picked it out for me. She actually, I remember, she brought two homes. She said, you want the yellow one or the purple one? I'm a third grade boy, 
I'm like, I guess give me the yellow one. I don't know. Just give me the yellow lunchbox. But when you have multiple kids, you treat them differently. And I just want to let you know that's completely normal. You should treat them differently because they're different people. There are things that you're going to let your 17-year-old do or your, your high schooler do that you're not going to let your 7-year-old, your elementary student, do. And that's, that's okay. They have different levels of responsibility. When you give a, a child or when you give someone a little bit of responsibility and they show that they can handle it, you give them more. But what happens when they show that they can't handle the responsibility? Maybe you give them a little bit less. And Jesus says this in the same story in verse 43. He says, I t therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people producing its fruits. I know that sounds really harsh, but I wrote this down. God gives more to those who have been faithful with what they have. God gives more to those who have been faithful with what they have. I opened up by telling you that I'm not preaching on the par parable of the talents, but instead the parable of the tenants. But if you look up the parable of the talents, say that ten times fast, uh, you will see a great example of this, of God giving, God gives everybody a different amount, and he wants to see who's going to be faithful with it. I want you to ask yourself this question. Have you used what you have to the best of your ability? God always gives us what we need to succeed at what he wants us to do. If you're struggling to accomplish your dreams, and I don't mean like minor setbacks, I'm talking about like, you're trying to do this thing, you really feel like it's in your heart, and every time you try to do it, you're just hitting a brick wall, hitting a brick wall, hitting a brick wall. I want to ask you, are you doing what God has called you to do? Because I believe he will always equip us to do what he calls us to do. Verse 41, he tells us that if we're not fruitful with what we have been given, that he is going to lend out the vineyard to those who will give him fruit. I mean, this, this makes sense, right? You know, ask yourself, are you giving God fruit from the vineyard that he's been giving you? In other words, of everything God has blessed you with in your life, are you being a good steward of what he's been giving you? Or are you wasting the life that he's, he's been giving you? If God has blessed you financially, are you using your finances to help the kingdom of God? If you find yourself as an empty nester, maybe you've raised, you know, a whole group of kids, and now you've got more time on your hands than ever before, are you using the resource of time that God has given you to impact the kingdom of God. Because I believe this, just like scripture teaches, if God has given you resources and he wants you to use your resources to further his kingdom, and if you don't use those resources, we just heard from scripture, what's going to happen? God can very well move those resources to someone else. I mean, you would do the same thing, right? Imagine if you had two investment accounts, two retirement accounts, and you have two different retirement managers, okay? You got one person, and they're just doing a great job. Every time you talk to them, like, yep, the, the accounts grew even more. It's growing faster than, you know, than I ever imagined. And they're just managing your money really well. Well, then you have this other account manager, and the opposite is happening, right? Every time you call, they're just saying, you know, we're just bleeding cash. We don't know what's going on. You're saying, well, well you're, we're working with the same market here. What's, what's the deal? Well, given the opportunity to move your resources around, what are you going to do? You're obviously going to move your resources to the person who's making you the most money. Okay, maybe you said, this is great, I, I don't have a retirement account. Let me put it another way. Imagine if you woke up tomorrow and you were the coach of your favorite team, whatever that team is. For me, it's the Georgia Bulldogs, okay? The reason I like the Georgia Bulldogs is I feel like they're God's favorite team. That's why they put the G on the side of the helmet. It's just godly right there. 
uh, Ella Grace, I don't know if she's in here, but uh, one of our students came up to me in between services. She goes, you know, Pastor Stephen, they put the C on the Clemson helmets for Christ-like. And I said, that's not right. That's, that's not, I don't think that's what that means. But if you were the manager of your team, the coach of your team, and you've got one player who's doing everything you want them to do, they're showing up, they're showing up early to practice, they're putting in the reps, they're giving 100, 110% effort, they're doing everything you want them to do, and then you've got this other player who is just lazy, they never show up, they're never on time, every time they get an opportunity to make a play, they just mess it up. When the game's on the line, who are you going to give it to? Obviously, the player who's put in the work and is doing great. Another way of saying it is this, if you've got three children and you've only got $100 to give, which child would you give it to, and why won't you give it to the middle child? I'm just kidding. But what Jesus is saying here to these Pharisees who are represented by the tenants in the story is he's saying, listen, you had your chance. These people were supposed to be religious leaders. They're supposed to carry the voice of the Lord. They're supposed to show people the way. God's, God's plan was that he was going to bless the nation of Israel, the Israelites. That's where the, these Pharisees and chief priests, they are descendants of the, of the people that Moses led out of Egypt. They were supposed to be the, the religious, they are supposed to be the leadership. They are supposed to point people in the right direction, and they were doing a terrible job. They thought so highly of themselves. They were so judgmental. They used all the rules and laws and regulations to make people feel bad. And then when people tried to do the right thing and offer sacrifices, there was always a reason why they weren't good enough. And Jesus was fed up. It's almost like in this story, he's telling people, he's telling the Pharisees, you used your religion to reject people. You used your religion to even kill people off that you disagree with. That's what the parable's about. He's saying, I'm about to use some different people. He, I mean, he even says it. He says, he says he's gonna, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to someone else who is producing its fruit. Salvation for mankind may have come through the Jews. Jesus was a Jewish man himself. But let me make it clear. The message of Jesus, the kingdom of God, is for everyone. And I, I want to say something uh, here that may come across as a little harsh, but I, I want you just to lean in with me just for a second. But I think that there are, much like there are some Pharisees that were using Scripture and using the Bible to beat people up, I think we live in a world today where there's some churches that have a Pharisee spirit in them. I think there's some churches out there that want to use God's Word. By the way, God's, God's the, the, the truth of God's Word, the Bible, this is really God's love letter to us. There's some backstory in there. we got the Old Testament, but really the main character is about Jesus. And this whole book is about how Jesus came down from heaven to earth, lived a perfect, sinless life, and died on the cross, resurrected, so that you and I could have new life and eternal life in him and one day in heaven. That's what this book is all about. And in the same way the Pharisees, they would take scripture and they would use it to beat, beat people up, I think sometimes there's Christians and there's churches that you go to and you may, you may be struggling in your faith and they want to use the Bible to beat you up. And, and there's a difference between being honest with someone. I'm going to be honest with you today. You need Jesus in your life. The Bible makes it pretty clear if you die and you don't have Jesus in your life, you're going to spend an eternity away from him, and we describe that place as hell. And people don't talk about that enough anymore. There's a difference between being truthful, I'm being truthful with you and honest, but I'm not going to beat you up about it.
Because I can tell you, once upon a time, that was my story. I was far from God. I was running from God. There was no hope in my life. But praise Jesus, I had a good parents, and I had good mentors, and I had good people who came alongside me. Some of them are sitting on this front row over here who have challenged me and encouraged me to keep walking in faith. But there are churches that do this, and according to Scripture, what I'm reading, what, what did Jesus say to the Pharisees? He says, I'm going to take the kingdom of God from you and give it to a people producing its fruit. And I think there are churches that used to have God's blessing and they no longer do. I'm thankful that we are a part of a church. I, I, I can say this from the bottom of my heart. I'm thankful that this is a church where we do everything short of sinning to reach people who are far from God. And I'm proud of that. I'm proud of that. Amen to that. But a lot of churches have been more concerned about making their their congregation, a museum for the saints instead of a hospital for those that are far from God. And that's what the Pharisees did. They started using their religion to hurt other people instead of help. And you know what I believe happens to, to the Pharisees and what happens to churches like that? Jesus says, I'm moving on. I'm going to bless other churches. God will never send his people to a church that is hurting people. It reminds me of, of a story a pastor told me years ago about a homeless man who visited a church service on a Sunday morning. The homeless man uh, came in from the streets, and he cleaned himself up the best way that he could. But when he came into the church, unfortunately, it was a church uh, where people had that Pharisee spirit. And, uh, and the pastor comes up to him and says, sir, don't you know that's not how you're supposed to dress when you come to church? And the, sir, uh, or the gentleman was a little embarrassed and said, pastor, you know, I'm sorry, this is the best I have. And, and the pastor says, well, I want you this week, I want you to spend some time with Jesus and I want you to pray, and I want you to ask Jesus what you're supposed to wear to church on a Sunday morning. So the man did just that. Throughout the week, he spent some time in prayer, and he asked Jesus, he says, Jesus, what should I be wearing to this church on Sunday morning? He came back to church the following Sunday, dressed in the exact same clothes that he wore the week before. The pastor, before the service even started, come down from the stage and said, Sir, I thought I told you this past week, you're supposed to pray and ask Jesus what you're supposed to wear to church. The man very humbly replied, he says, Pastor, I spent all week praying and asking Jesus what I was supposed to wear, but Jesus told me that he didn't know because he hasn't been to this church in a long time. That's tough. But it's true. God gives more to those who have been faithful with what they have, and I believe that God takes away from people who are no longer faithful and who no longer use their resources and no longer use their blessings to help other people. I know that's really harsh. Uh, I, I apologize for that, but uh, I'm just a preacher. I didn't write the Bible, all right? So I'm just telling you what the Bible says. <laughs> but the third observation that I pulled from this is that God sent his son, Jesus, to be our cornerstone. God sent his son, Jesus, to be our cornerstone. It says this in verse 42, Jesus responds to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. You may not realize this, but Jesus was actually quoting Psalm 118, verse 22. This psalm is also quoted in Acts chapter 4, as well as 1 Peter chapter 2. And so what is Jesus talking about here with the cornerstone? He's talking about this vineyard that out of nowhere, he's like, haven't you read the scriptures? There's a stone, the builders rejected, now it's the cornerstone. What, what are we talking about here? So Back in the day when they used to build buildings, you know, there, there wasn't like concrete and some of these other things. So what would happen is the builder, the architect, would search for hours and hours and hours 
to try to find the perfect stone that was at like a right angle that they could put in the corner. That way, as they laid the rest of the stones, they were all straight in line in reference to the original cornerstone. So a good builder would search and search and search and search and try their best to find a stone that hit that 90 degree angle so that when they laid the foundation for the house or the building, that the wall wouldn't have a wave in it. You know what I'm talking about? And so as you were building something, as you were constructing something, if somewhere down the line you saw that there was a wave, you would always go back to the cornerstone and make sure the line, your line, is lined up with the cornerstone. I was talking uh, with one of our builders here in the church, Steve, and I asked him earlier, I said, Steve, people still don't use cornerstones anymore. He goes, well, not so much. But Steve said that the modern-day equivalent is if you build a house, you have leaves, right? So it's these spots in the corner where you line it up just perfectly so that when you build the foundation of the house, it's perfectly square. I think it's really ironic here that Jesus quotes Psalm 118 to the Pharisees because they likely would have already known that verse. He makes a little jab at them. He says, come on, haven't you read the scriptures? Which again is like asking a preacher if they've read the Bible. But Psalm 118, 22, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Who is Jesus talking about? He's talking about himself. Ironically, in this story, we know that the people who are renting the land are representative of the Pharisees. And ironically, the Pharisees thought that if they killed Jesus, that their problems would go away. They thought that if they could just get rid of Jesus, they could go back to their old way of doing things, that they could just live the way that they wanted to live, and they could make people feel bad for trying to follow God. They thought that they would receive the inheritance for God. They thought that they were the true descendants and Jesus was just a fake prophet. But this is what's crazy. What they didn't know is that before they were even born, it was written hundreds of years ago in Psalm 118, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. It goes on to say, this is the Lord's doing. God knew what he was doing all along, and it is wonderful to see. Verse 24 in Psalm 118 says, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Please, Lord, save us. Friends, I got great news for you today that the very stone that the Pharisees rejected, the very stone that the crowds rejected has now become the cornerstone. And despite what we have going on in our world today, I'm proud to say and I'm glad to say what, what, what it was written in Psalm 118 is still true today, that this is the day that the Lord has made. And isn't it amazing that we get to come together on a Sunday morning and we get to celebrate and say this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Verse 25 in Psalm 118 says, Lord, please save us. The best news of all is that the Lord Jesus Christ is still saving people today. Still saving people today. Each of us, we need a cornerstone in our life. And we need one because in the world that we live in, it's so easy to get pulled this way and to get pulled that way and to have a strong opinion about this and a strong opinion about that and and you've, you've got Christian leaders saying this and other leaders saying that, and it's so hard to know what to believe and where to stand. But if you would build your life on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, I can promise you that he will make your path straight. My prayer today is that God would open your eyes to see Jesus who he really is, the cornerstone of our eternal salvation.
So here's my question for you today. Will you choose to follow Jesus? Will you choose to follow him? Or will you be like the Pharisees? Will you be like the tenants? And will you reject Jesus? Will you reject the messengers that he has sent you? Maybe, maybe I'm even that for you today. Will you reject the messengers that he has sent you? Will you reject the son, Jesus, that God has sent you? Or will you choose to build your life on Jesus, the cornerstone? You know, it may surprise you to hear this, but your entire life, from the day that you were born, the only thing, the main thing that God has wanted for your life more than anything else is that you would be in a personal relationship with him. That's, that's what God has wanted for you in your, your entire life. And you may not realize it, but over the course of your life, God has sent you so many people. And you may say, well, he hasn't sent me that many. Well, he's sending you somebody today. But God has sent people in your life to tell you about his kingdom, to tell you his way of doing things. Can I tell you this? Even if you, can, if you think like the Pharisees and you think to yourself, I'm just going to ignore Jesus. I'm just going to reject him. I'm just going to do my own thing. The Bible makes it crystal clear that when you reject Jesus and you do your own thing, that Jesus takes the fruit, he takes the vineyard from you, and he gives it to someone else. Once again, I didn't write the Bible. I just get to preach it. But your entire life, God has been sending you people Sending you people, sending you people. If, if we had the time today, I could take a microphone and I could pass it all around the room. And I, I'm scanning the room and I'm seeing different faces and I know so many of your stories. If we had the time and we passed around the microphone, you would hear story after story after story of God's faithfulness over the course of people's lifetimes, of his grace, of his mercy, of his provision. That's why when we come in here and you see us lift our hands in worship, I used to judge people that did that. I used to say, man, I'm never going to do that. And now I find myself on the front row lifting my hands every week, every opportunity I have. I can't help but praise God because of what he's done in my life. I can't, I can't help it. I can't, even, I can't even stand in a church service anymore and not want to lift my hands because when I think about where I've been and when I think about where I've done, can I tell you something? God should have left me a long time ago, but he didn't. Instead, he kept sending messengers. He kept sending messengers. He kept sending messengers. And even though I've never killed anybody, I promise, but even though I've rejected people and I've rejected people, God just kept sending his messengers, and eventually he sent his son into my life. And I'm so thankful for that today. Today can be the day that your life has changed just like mine. Maybe you're in the gym. Maybe you're watching us online right now, and you say, today is the day that I need to give my life to Jesus. If you want to make Jesus your cornerstone, you want to make him the Lord of your life, if you'd be so kind to close your eyes and bow your head just for the next couple moments. If that's you today and, and you say, you know what, Pastor Stephen, you're right. God's been sending me messengers. I know that I need to be in a relationship with him. I don't want to reject him like the builders did. I don't want to reject him like the Pharisees did. I want to make him the cornerstone of my life. Nobody's looking around. I'm not going to do anything to, to embarrass you whatsoever. But if that's you today, would you just wave at me? I just want to know who I'm praying for. Anybody in the room, from the front to the back, you say, today's the day. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to make him my cornerstone. Anybody watching online right now, maybe you're watching on demand a week or two from now, but if, if that's you, reach out to the church. We'd love to connect with you. But if that's you today, if you say, I want to make Jesus my cornerstone, we believe this as a church that Jesus came from heaven to earth and he lived a perfect sinless life. He did amazing things, miracles and teaching parables. But despite the way he lived his life according to God, the Pharisees and many others rejected him and they crucified him on the cross. 
But the stone that they rejected became the cornerstone. Three days later, he rose again. If you want to be made new today, make Jesus your cornerstone. Make this your prayer and repeat these words after me. Church, can we just all repeat this together? Just say, dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I need your forgiveness. I believe that you died for my sins and I want to be made new. I invite you to come into my life and be my cornerstone. I want to trust you as Savior and follow you as King. In Jesus' name, amen. Church family, can we celebrate with those that gave their hearts to the Lord today? Man, it's the best decision you could ever make in your life. Praise the Lord for that. We as a church, we have a mission um, here. We, we say we want to journey with you from where you are to where Jesus wants you to be. And the thing about going on a journey with someone is you have to have someone to go on the journey with you. And we want to be that place for you. And the best way to do that, the best way for us to connect with you and you to connect with us is to text the words MADE NEW to the number uh, that is on the screen. If you're driving on the road and maybe you, maybe you can't see the screen, the number is 864-362-0567. And we would love to just connect with you, get you some resources, get you some information. And then I also want to tell you, church, that we have a book called Following Jesus. It's a really short book, very, very short. Each chapter is like three or, three or four pages long. I'm actually going through it right now with some of our teenagers. And even if you've been a Christian your entire life or, or you've been a Christian for all of one minute, I would encourage you to pick up those books. We have them available at our Connection Center. They don't cost anything. We give them away for free. But each chapter just explains, like, what is prayer? What is, why should I read the Bible? Who is the Holy Spirit? Why should I get baptized? All these different things. I would encourage you to check that out. But once again, church, I just want to say that I, I'm so proud of you. I really am. You know, as I was reading through this and, and reading about what happened to the Pharisees, I really don't feel like that's our church. I don't feel like that's our church. I feel like uh, sometimes that's that's other people that I see, especially when I'm scrolling through social media. But I just want to challenge you, man. Never use the Bible as a weapon. Always use it to love people, to encourage people. You can still be truthful, but not hurtful, right? At least intentionally hurtful. But I just want to encourage you with that today. And in the same way that God sent messengers to us, the same way that God is sending us messengers, he also wants us to go out and be the messengers, all right? I didn't have time to add that in today, but I wanted to share that with you. So be blessed. Thanks so much for coming today. Pastor Josh is coming up now. He's going to share a few thoughts on giving and generosity. Thanks so much.